also, I, I'm going to give a little uh, uh, disclaimer. Uh, I had oral surgery this last week, and uh, so if I lisp a little bit, it's because of that. So uh, forgive me, but it's on, it's on the mend. It's feeling better. And uh, so uh, if you hear a little bit of that, I have not been sneaking in the back and <laughs> self-medicating. Acts 21. When the Holy Spirit speaks, last week in the book, uh, in the chapter before, in chapter 20, we heard Paul talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit was compelling him to go to Jerusalem. And we also saw that he had been warned that when he gets there, he's going to be placed in chains and he's going to be afflicted. But Paul went... Anyway, and we'll talk more about this as we go through this, but the question I ask for us today, because if the word of God does not apply to us, what are we pre- why are we preaching it? What do we do when the Holy Spirit sends us someplace or asks us to do something that's uncomfortable? Now, for Paul, it's going to be more than uncomfortable He is going to be arrested. He's going to be thrown in jail. There's going to be an assassination attempt on his life. He's going to be taken to to go before Felix. He's going to sit in prison in Caesarea for two years. He's then going to sail all the way to Rome, and he's going to get in a shipwreck along the way. And then he's going to sit in Rome in a prison under house arrest. And we go... That was not the Holy Spirit. And, we, and, and, and sometimes God says, I want you to go. I want you to do something that you're not comfortable with. And it may be as simple as, I want you to go witness to this person. The Holy Spirit's given you, I call them Holy Spirit nudges. You need to share the gospel. And you're like, oh, but what if they say No. And the Holy Spirit says, that's up to me. You leave that to me. You are only asked to go and tell. You're the one that needs, and and sometimes it's simple that. Other times, God may be saying, I want you to go all the way to the other side of the world. I remember when I was in college, I had the opportunity to travel to Australia for the summer. And I spent six weeks in Australia at a church just outside of Sydney. Uh, Pastor Cosgrove was just a a wonderful pastor there. And uh, the next year, he had moved to a church in Brisbane and he sent me a letter. And he said, would you consider coming to Australia to be my youth pastor? And I'm kind of like going, whoa, Australia. For, 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 for me, it was Australia for life. And it was God, God did what he did with Paul sometimes. He just closed those doors for me. But it was, I was like going, wow, that's a big leap. Especially when you're, you know, I, I live, my, my siblings all live within 20 minutes of me. 
that's hard. I mean, you know, to, to know that you're going to leave mom and dad behind and all your siblings and, and all of that. But God said no. He closed those doors. But the Holy Spirit sometimes asks us to do hard and uncomfortable things. And the question is, are we willing to do that? As Paul was willing to do that. So let's go and let's read the first 14 verses of chapter 21. And when they parted, when we parted from them and had set sail, we ran a straight course to Cause, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we went on board and set sail. And when we were in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and landed in Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days. And they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. And when our days were ended, we left and started on our journey while, while they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach and praying, they said farewell to one another. And when we went on board the ship and they returned home again. And when we finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived in Ptolemais. And after greeting the brother, we stayed with them for a day. And on the next day we left and came to Caesarea, and entering the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now the man had four virgin daughters who were prophetess. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own feet in his hands, and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we had heard this, we as well as the local residents began to beg him not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. Well, let's first look. We've been watching the trip that he's been taking. So last week he was in Miletus and he talked to the to the Ephesian elders, and they prayed and sent him on his way, and we see him, he sails down around the corner, comes across the Mediterranean Sea, and, and ends in Tyre. He then sails down to Caesarea, and he's going to end up in Jerusalem next week. Oh, <laughs> that's the sermon next week anyway. Paul is headed to Jerusalem. And there's a lot of, a lot of people, uh, I shouldn't say a lot, there are some very well-known theologians that have preached a message that says Paul made a mistake. 
by going to Jerusalem. Because people were saying, don't go. Well, I don't agree with them. I believe that Paul was absolutely in the center of God's will, doing absolutely what the Holy Spirit said to him. So how do we know when what the Holy Spirit is telling us is correct and not somebody else's interpretation of what the Holy Spirit says? We're going to look at Paul's uh, issue here, and we're going to look at some principles that we can, we can say, how do we know that what the Holy Spirit is saying to me is the correct action to take and not what somebody else is saying? So let's look at a couple principles. The first principle is the Holy Spirit will never contradict the Word of God. It will never contradict the Word of God. So if, if somebody says, by, well, the Holy Spirit told me to go out and you can name whatever it is, and if it's a sin, I can tell you. Nope, that's not the Holy Spirit. Maybe your flesh telling you that. But, but how do we know when the Holy Spirit is talking to us, it will never contradict the Word of God. Now, with this, in Paul's case, I want you to look at Acts chapter 9. When Paul got saved, when Paul had his experience on the road to Damascus, there was a man by the name of Ananias that came to him, and God spoke to Ananias and said, I have a message for Paul, and you're going to take it. Remember, Paul had been blinded. He had, as it says, as scales on his eyes. He couldn't see, and Ananias was supposed to go. And this is the message God gave to Ananias to tell Paul. But the Lord said to him, Go, he said, this is Ananias, Go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Ananias had a message from God that Paul was going to suffer. Now, he didn't tell him all, didn't give him everything. But the other thing he said is, what was Paul to do? He was going to speak before Gentiles. He's done that. He's going to speak before the sons of Israel. He's done that. But up until now, Paul has not spoken to kings. Now, how do you get an audience with the king? Well, one of the ways in the Roman aspect of it, is that he got an audience by getting arrested and pleading to Caesar. To Caesar he has he is asked, to Caesar he will go. God had a plan, and, and on that trip he's going to talk to several other kings, Felix, Agri King Agrippa, he's going to talk to a couple governors. It was through his arrest in Jerusalem that allowed him to preach to the people that otherwise would not pay any attention to Paul. They're not going to go to one of his meetings. They're not going to go to the synagogue and listen to him. 
But Paul had the opportunity to literally preach to kings because of his arrest. He also knew that he was going to suffer. That's why Paul could later on say, you know, don't, don't make me cry here. I'm okay. Even if I should die, I'm okay. Because God's given me that peace to go. Well, look, look back, just flip back one chapter to chapter 20 that we looked at last week and verses 22 to 24. Now, Paul is still, he's, he's in Miletus, right? He's talking to the Ephesian elders, and he says this, and now behold, bound, or some, if you, some other versions will say compelled, same word, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bounds, bonds, excuse me, bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life any, any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Holy Spirit from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said, every place I go, remember he was over in Greece, Corinth, Athens. He was in Macedonia, Thessalonica, Berea, Philippi. He said, every city I go into, it says, what did it say? It said you're going to be bound, you're going to have bonds, and you're going to have affliction. Trouble's coming. That leads us to our second point. If you're looking at, is this right by the Holy Spirit? Is this what God wants me to do? It was confirmed by the Holy Spirit through other believers. But now we have a problem, don't we? Because when we come to 21, verse 4, it says, after looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. Now what do we do with that? Well, what I would say is this. It doesn't tell us what the Holy Spirit told them. I believe it's telling us what their reaction was. They didn't want Paul to go to Jerusalem. Now, because we're, we're going to see one more confirmation in just a second. But they didn't want Paul to go to Jerusalem and be bound and afflicted. Why? Do we want people that we love... Christians that we know to go through difficult times? Oh yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay with, with so-and-so going to jail. What? As, as believers and, and people that we love, 
It's hard for us to hear the Holy Spirit say, you're going to be afflicted and you're going to be bound if you go to Jerusalem. And so what do we say? Don't go! <laughs> what are you thinking? Do you hear what's waiting for you? Now, I want you to, get, I want you to see one more confirmation. And that's by a gentleman by the name of Agabus. We have him here in verse 10. And they were staying there. They're staying in Caesarea. They're staying with Philip the evangelist and his daughters. And, uh, and while they were there, at verse 10, as we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea now, I want you to watch specifically what Agabus tells Paul. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands, and he said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In, the way that the, in this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles Period. Did Agabus say, don't go, Paul. It's a trap. The Holy Spirit told me to tell you not to go. No. What did he tell him? You're going to be bound by the Jews and you're going to be placed in the hand of the Gentiles. Now you talk about prophecy. Agabus was the one that told them a number of years before that there was going to be a drought and there was going to be famine in Israel and get prepared and it came about. Agabus had a good track record. He didn't tell Paul, this is what's going to happen, so don't go. Matter of fact, he was very specific. What did he say? He said, in this way the Jews at where? Jerusalem will bind this man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. God confirmed not just the general thing that Paul had been told before is that you're going to be bound and afflicted. Now he tells them specifically. The Jews are the ones that are going to cause the problem and the Gentiles, the Romans, are the ones that are going to do, uh, that, that are, are actually going to put you in prison. Agabus never tells them, don't go. But look at the very next verse. And when we, now who's this? Who's we? Luke and all the other people that are traveling with him, all his other friends that are there, when we heard this, we as well as local residents began begging him not to go to Jerusalem. Same reaction. Paul, we love you. Luke's probably going, as your physician, I would, I would highly recommend you not go to prison. You've already been stoned to death. You have a thorn in the flesh that God will not relieve you of. You've been through an awful lot, Paul. Sit in your rocking chair and bid your time out. And Paul says, 
No way. The Holy Spirit has told me to go. He's told me exactly what's going to happen to me. I'm ready to go. Even if I should die, my Jesus died in Jerusalem. I would be happy to die in Jerusalem if that's what God wants. I will do the hard thing. The last thing I want to, when we look at how does God confirm through the Holy Spirit what is right when we're asked to do difficult things, is Paul had peace about going to Jerusalem despite the warnings. Despite the warnings. I mean, he had those warnings way back before he left all the way when he was in Greece and Macedonia, people were telling him, you're going to be arrested. Paul says, let's go. Come on. Let's go. Hurry up. i got to be there by Pentecost. I love the people. I love my Jewish brethren. I have to be there. Oh, and by the way, I'm carrying this gift that I want to give them that's been collected all through Macedonia and Greece for the saints, for the church in Jerusalem because they're struggling Paul had perfect peace. Look what he says to the people. Then Paul answered, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when, since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, The will of the Lord be done. Was it the will of the Lord for Paul to go to Jerusalem and be placed in prison? I would say absolutely. Because when Paul later on, several times in his letters, he gives a discourse of his life. Not once does he say, oh yeah, and there was at one time that I was out of the will of God when I went to prison. When I went to Jerusalem to be arrested. Not one time. Paul Paul doesn't know this yet. I don't think God has revealed to him yet. But God is going to take him from being an amazing preacher and church planter to being an amazing writer. Because it's while Paul is in prison that he starts writing the letters to the churches. And he's going to compile a great part of the New Testament while he's there. God is going to change his focus. Instead of starting churches, he now has a bunch of young preachers that he has brought up. He's taught them. He sent them out to, to pastor the churches that he started. And now God's going to shift that to him writing. He's going to tell him, I want you to write the theology of the church. And that's what he does in prison. Exactly where God wanted him to be. And he has perfect peace. And Paul writes about these in a couple of his letters. Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called as one body, and be thankful. Where is he writing this? In prison. Waiting for Caesar, waiting to talk to Caesar. In Philippians 4, this is a verse that we quote over and over again, but remember where Paul is when he writes this. Be anxious for nothing, 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And what? The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. From prison, Paul writes, I'm at peace, which is where God has me, because I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do, even though it may not be comfortable. God's allowed me to be here to do that. If you're struggling with, with whether the Holy Spirit's telling you to do something or not, if your peace is interrupted, I'd say don't do it. Because God says what? May the peace rule in your life. Be anxious for nothing. Let the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. If you don't have peace, that that's what God wants you to do, then I would say wait. Now God may say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold you up for a minute and later on give you peace. But that peace is part of what God does for us. He is, Jesus is the prince of peace, isn't he? And so if you don't have peace, God's telling you something. And it may be wait. It may be just wait, God's timing. Sometimes we can get ahead of what God wants, can't we? Oh, yeah. Oh, I have this great idea for ministry. I want to, and this is Paul, I, I want to go down here to Asia and I want to preach to the churches we were down in Asia. And God says, nope. Steers him left. And then God says, and then Paul says, oh, I got this great idea. I want to go up to Bithynia and preach up there. And God says, nope, come back. Not going to let you go there either. I want you to go to Macedonia. You're going to come back. You're going to have an opportunity later to preach at Ephesus. I'm going to give you that, but not now. Paul had perfect peace. Well, he gets to Jerusalem, and if Paul makes a mistake anywhere, it's in Jerusalem. And, you get, and, and, and as we read this, I honestly don't think Paul made a mistake. I think Paul was following his heart. And, and God was putting him in exactly where he needed to be to be arrested because God had a plan for Paul. But let's look at what it says in verses 15 through 26. And after these days we got ready and we started on our way to Jerusalem. They're on foot now. They're coming down from Caesarea, across the mountains, up into Jerusalem. And after these days we got ready and started on our way to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea came with us, taking, taking us to Nason of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to large, lodge. And after we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the following day Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. And after they had a greeting, greeting them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard that it, when they heard it, they began glorifying God, and they said to him, "You see, brother, 
how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. And they are all jealous, zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore, do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and all know, all will know that there is nothing to the things which you have been told when they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat, sacrificed to idols, from the blood, and from what is strangled, and from fornication. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification, until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. So Paul gives them, remember how he's been gone for almost five years preaching on this third missionary journey. He comes back and, and that's going to take a while, right? Hey, yeah, we were over here and we preached this and, and oh, by the way, I found, I found Timothy and Titus and Tychicus and, and Trophimus and I want you to introduce you to all these guys and, and they've been along on the trip and here's Dr. Luke and, and this is all the things that we did. This is all the places we preached. This is all the churches we started. Took a while. And he gets all done and they glorified God. And then it says, but. And here's where the problem comes. This is the rub. Paul preached what? Grace. Last week we heard that, that out of the 300, 130 times that it's, or 35 times it's used in the New Testament, Paul uses grace 97 times. Paul was a man of grace, and when he came to the Gentiles, whether they were Jews or unbelievers, he preached grace, which is awesome. But guess what happened to the church in Jerusalem? It's been over, over almost 30 years now since the time of the, the very first, excuse me, 25 years, since the very first church service on the day of Pentecost. And who got saved? A bunch of Jewish people. And guess what they wanted to do? They wanted to hold on to the law. They said, oh, we believe in salvation by grace. Absolutely. We have the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. But we really like to hold on to the law. It's predictable. It's comfortable. I mean, you talk about my boundaries are set. I don't even need to use the bumpers in the bowling alley. I'm going right. My, 
my boundaries are set. I don't have to worry. They loved being able, the pageantry of going to the temple and watching the priests in all of their robes and all of the majesty. They loved it. And they couldn't give it up. So they said, we are saved by grace, but we love the law. Paul, what are you doing telling all of my Jewish buddies, you don't have to be circumcised, you don't have to follow the law. And Paul loved the Jewish people so much. As a matter of fact, one time he says, I would see myself cursed if I could win my brothers, the Jews, to Christ. And so Paul says, okay, I will take the vow. I will sh- he, they would shave their heads. That would be the reason that you would know that they, were, they had taken a vow. And I'll go to the temple with these four men. Why would Paul do that? I'll tell you why. 1 Corinthians 9. For though I am free from all men... I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews, I became a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. That was his heart. I will do whatever it takes to win my brothers and sisters that are in Judaism, that are being bound by the, by the law so that they can know Jesus the Redeemer, Jesus the Messiah who will set me, who has set me free and will set them free. So Paul goes. He does what they ask him to do. Even though he himself knows, I'm under grace. I don't have to follow these laws. And 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 if you go into the rest of the book of Corinthians chapter 9, you'll see that Paul says, you know, there are times when I do this so that I can win these people. I'll sit down and have a pork chop any day of the week with a Gentile if I can win a Gentile to Christ. And I'll go over here and and we'll have whatever it is the Jewish people are eating that day if I can win a Jewish person. You see, Paul was okay. Because Paul knew that he was exactly where where he should have been. The Holy Spirit was leading him right where he was to go. Agabus had said, listen, the Jews are the ones They're the ones that are going to bind your hands. Now, he wasn't talking, I want you to remember this, he's not talking about Jewish believers. Who had the biggest problem with Paul? The Jewish people that were non-believers. Because what was Paul was saying? I found the Messiah. You guys missed him. You guys think you're going to get to heaven by keeping the law? I got news for you. There's one way to heaven and that's through Jesus Christ because he is the Messiah. 
So if we look at Paul, we look at what the Holy Spirit, he, he was, I believe that Paul was in the very center of God's will by going in knowing that he was going to get arrested, knowing that some, not exactly how it's going to happen, but knowing that it is going to happen. So the question for us, are we willing to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us into uncomfortable places. And you know, folks, that can be anywhere. That could be right here in church. That may be right here when you say, I'm, you know what? I'm really comfortable in my pew. Ooh, I'm, now this is where I go from preaching to meddling. I'm really okay sitting right where I sit. Maybe God's saying, I want you to be a little bit uncomfortable in my church. Because most of us do this. When we get ready for church, oh God, bless me this morning. May the message encourage my heart. May the music be more hymns. I knew that was coming. Lord, bless me. Speak to me. And you know, sometimes I think what we really need to do is when we get up on Sunday morning, we say, okay, God, I'm going, I'm going to your house this morning. I'm going to see my people. I'm going to see the people that I love. I'm going to see your flock. And God, in that flock, there's going to be people that are hurting this morning. There's going to be people who have cancer. There's going to be people who are lonely there's going to be people who are hurting. I want you to lead me to those people. When I walk through that door, I don't want to look for my pew. I want to look for your place that you have for me to come along somebody that's hurting. Intentionally. God wants us to move in uncomfortable places. Oh, is it okay to say to that 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 office worker, "Can I pray for you? I know I know what you're going through at home. Can I pray for you?" Oh, that's uncomfortable. The Holy Spirit may be giving you that nudge. Hey, you have a neighbor that lives next door to you. Why don't you invite him to church? Or better yet, why don't you invite them over to your house and host a Bible study at your house with somebody that they already know. Oh, that may be uncomfortable, but the Holy Spirit is guiding us. Will you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you into uncomfortable places? We're, we're coming to communion time. I am so glad, I am so glad that Jesus did not heed the warnings. He knew where he was headed, didn't he? Peter, oh, good old impetuous Peter. Oh God, no, you're not going to die. 
I would die first. Here's my sword. I'm going to cut off somebody's ear. I'm going to show you. Don't do it. Speak and let everybody call. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. He had all the options, but you know what he said in the garden? He says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Knowing exactly where he was going. He had prepared the disciples. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood which is shed for you for the remission of sins. Do this as you do it in remembrance of me. Pointing them to what? The uncomfortable places, the hard places, the dark places. The place where he would cry, my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? But he did it willingly. As we come to communion and we take the cup and we, and, and we take the bread, ask God, where do you want me to go? Where is the Holy Spirit leading me? What is the Holy Spirit leading me to do you were willing to give everything for me. I can do this little thing for you. We have communion in the center, the back two corners, and the front two corners. The cups are stacked with the wafer in the bottom, the juice in the top. There's gluten-free options in the middle of each one of the trays. We believe in open communion here, which means you don't have to be a member of this church to take communion. You only have to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And you can share with us. And we ask you to do that because we are one. It doesn't matter what the title is over the church, out there over the sign. We're one in Christ. doesn't matter whether you're Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, I don't care where you, what label you slapped on yourself sometime in, in your life, God says you're my child and you're brothers and sisters in Christ. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you today how much you love us. So much that you let your son go to the cross. You sent him there. It was your will that he hung on the cross. And God, he, he, he willingly went there. And he died for me and for each one of us that we could know for sure that our sins are forgiven and that we would have a place in heaven with you forever and ever. And I look forward to that day. Now as we take communion, may we honor you by going to those hard places that you call us to, to do hard things in the name of Jesus. And we pray this in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Amen.